Welcome to the Fro and the Flow presented by Burbs Entertainment. This is the 2021 NBA Championship Edition. I'm your host, Ralph Compiano. I'm joined by one of my frequent guests. I do not have the Martian with me, but I do have a valuable replacement, perhaps the best value over replacement player ranking in the league, Carter Fairman of 303 Magazine and Burbs Entertainment. What's good, Carter? How are we feeling after this championship? Yesterday was a great day, man. We got a Kanye snippet mm. on the first commercial break. The Bucks won. What a lovable team. Feeling good today. It's a little bit bittersweet, though. You know, the basketball season's over. Uh, before we before we dive into the hoops, let, let's talk about Donda really quick. Um, where are your expectations sitting here right now? Obviously, we're both pretty big easy stands. Um, maybe even you more than I, which I think is a rarity for most of my friends. But, uh, you know, you've written several pieces on him. You've been following him since, you know, you're young and all that kind of stuff. Uh, how, how Just how pumped are you and what are your expectations for it as far as, like, how it's going to sound and the features and all that kind of good stuff? Given the feature list and the hype surrounding it and Kanye being back in the ski mask, I, there's a lot to be excited about. Um, I think he's in a really good place right now. He's just been... Like what I heard was the theme is that he's reflecting on the past few years and wrapping it all up and then tying in his mother, which I know is really important to him. Uh, you know, coming off of Jesus is King, I think there's, and it wasn't the worst album, but I think there's really nowhere to go but up for Kanye fans. Mm. Uh, he's back to cussing. Um, but, you know, I just, if we can get like an eight out of 10 album, I'll be satisfied. That's all I'll say. If you had to pick, let's say, two features they could get, who do you really, really want? Well, I'll speculate based on the features that they've announced. Um, right. I'm really excited for the Griselda feature, which I heard is on mm. the album. Uh, I didn't know there was one, a Griselda feature. Are they getting all three of them? We'll see. We'll see. If I can mm. get a Benny the Butcher verse alongside oh. Kanye where they're going <laughs> back and forth, that'd be insane. And then some West Side Gun boop, boop, boops. That would be mm-hmm. amazing. Um and then I heard Lil Baby is on the 80 Degrees Hurricane song, and I'm really excited for that, too. Those are my two. Fox. All right, but, yeah, I'm fucking pumped. But uh, let's get into hoops. So the Milwaukee Bucks win game six of the NBA Finals. Uh, it was not just the Milwaukee Bucks, though. It was Giannis's team. They looked like the Greek or Nigerian Olympic team out there. He was unbelievably dominant. He recorded 50 points, 14 boards, two assists, five blocks, Shot 16 to 25 from the field, that is 64%. Was one of three from deep and a resounding 19 free throw attempts and 17 makes and only two fouls. So he is now a two time MVP, a defensive player of the year, a finals MVP, the most improved player, five time All Star, five time All NBA selected player, and a four time All Defense member. He's only 26 years old. He just averaged 35, 13, and five with three combined blocks or steals in the NBA Finals, in his first NBA Finals. He's the first player ever to average 30 and 10 and 5 on 60%, and he did it with a recently hyperextended knee. Carter, Giannis Antetokounmpo, we have talked about him on probably every single podcast that we've ever done together, and I have had my doubts about him, I'll be honest. I wanted him to, you know, work on the post, stop shooting threes, develop a floater. That was my big thing with him. I challenged him to find that in-between game because um, after we saw the wall just kind of pick him apart last year, I wanted to see what he could do between, you know, that three-point line, the free-throw line, and then also layups. I think that, you know, four- to nine-foot range is a sweet spot for a lot of different players. I want to see him excel there. He did that last night. 
He was unguardable on fadeaways. Looks really smooth on them. Great touch. He had a couple of push shots that were gorgeous, and his post hooks were insane. But what that's what stood out to me. What stood out to you as far as Giannis's play? Where did you see him develop and mature and really become, in my opinion, the best player in basketball right now in the entire planet? There's so much to unpack. He put together, in my conscious lifetime, the greatest finals performance I've ever seen. Um, there were, we always get these Giannis comparisons, you know, to Shaq, to Hakeem. Um, and I think it was a combination of both at their absolute best last night. You know, you were saying the post work, being able to face up and hit these push shots and these hooks and these fadeaway jump shots. Those are Hakeem's bread and butter shots. And he did that perfectly last night. Um, and then the pure dominance on the boards, getting offensive rebounds, controlling the paint. That was the shack part of it. But then on top of that, you know, since the game ended last night, all we've been hearing about is this unbelievable stat line. Now he's the first player in playoff history, not just the finals, to have a 50-point game with five blocks. But even then, as crazy as this sounds, I don't think that his stat line tells the full story of his brilliance last night. He had court control like what LeBron did in 2016, where on both ends of the floor, he was the focal point. Um, mm. Players were scared to go inside. Devin Booker struggled mightily at the rack. DeAndre Ayton was a non-factor. Um, it's just so many incredible things that he did last night. And in an elimination game at home to put a stamp on his early legacy, uh, you know, him winning finals MVP and the finals, along with the defensive player of the year, the regular season MVP, and also the all-star game MVP makes him the first or the second player to ever do that besides Michael Jordan. And he did it at the age of 26. Um, you know, I'm, I, I don't know where they're going to go from here, but uh, you know, I think that right now it's just a cause for a celebration for the Bucks. Because it's it all easy panned to be out. at a loss for words. Like he was, he was resounding. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up, like you know, the fact that it. I've seen, you know, we've had it a decade straight of LeBron Finals appearances, and you know there were just so many brilliant games. And you know, Giannis might not have accomplished what LeBron did in a single series. I mean, he was unbelievable for the entire series. But if you were just to take one game out of any of those LeBron games, I think that this Giannis one, if it doesn't stand above them, it stands right next to them. Right, like. Like you said, he controlled the game, and um, that speaks to you know how much he's matured as a player, um, not just you know physically, which is what is the most overwhelming part of him, but mentally. Like he is finding open guys. He's actually a threat when you know you leave PJ Tucker on the corner, you leave Middleton on the wing, you leave Brook Lopez under the basket. Like Giannis is going to find them. Like two or three years ago, we couldn't have said that, right? Like he just didn't have the court IQ. Um, but the big thing with me is, is like. I mean, dude, this guy defensively is just fucking berserk. Like, he literally controls the game. And when you can control both sides of the court, that's what's really going to separate you. Like you said with LeBron in 2016, um, Shaq obviously did that, you know, back in the early 2000s. But Giannis is doing it to a different degree right now. Like, if the guy's getting five blocks, he's not just doing that. He's guarding Chris Paul on the perimeter, guarding Devin Booker on switches. Like, he is just a fucking menace, dude. Like, it's honestly... He's like uh, Mr. Stretch in the Fantastic Four out there on defense. Like, there isn't a single layup that is 
wide open. Like, you are not going to get wide open layups against the Bucks, and it's because of Giannis, because of Drew. Brooke was really good last night. Middleton was really good last night. Defensively, you know, offensively, they might have some miscues, but defensively, they're just so locked in, um, and that's what won in the championship. That's what won the Lakers a championship last year, and Giannis is the main center point for that. Um, I was uh, saying in our text chain a little bit earlier, but, I mean, you said, like, We've talked about LeBron and bully ball, big body, big bends, all that kind of stuff. Giannis missed a layup last night, or maybe it was like a, a, a short jumper or something like that, and he got his own rebound. And it reminded, reminded me of like, you know, just the guy at the YMCA that is just like six, seven inches taller than every single person. And like, if he's on that team for pickup, he's just going to win because he's like mildly coordinated, but he also has like six inches on everybody. Giannis isn't astoundingly taller than anybody. He's not seven foot five. He's like a flat seven foot. But the dude is just so his motor is so high, right? Like he never gives up on a play. I think that's what made me fall in love with him this playoffs. It's just like the amount of effort that he puts out there. Cause like in this modern day and age, like we so see so many guys take possessions off. Um, you know, even his like contemporaries like James Harden and stuff like that, like it doesn't look like they want it as bad as him. And just to see that want, that need was really breathtaking, right? Like, I'm, I'm really happy for him. I've never been the biggest Giannis fan, like, the last few years, but um, I am now. Like, I can't help it. Like, I was just, I, I was crying last night after the game, not, like, you know, sobbing or anything like that, but I had tears coming on my eyes just, like, watching him, like, celebrate and all that kind of stuff because, you know, he's a great story, but he's also just a great player and a great person for the league. Um, I, I'm honestly blown away. I'm I'm just blown away. He was he was amazing. It, Fifty fucking points in the finals in an in, elimination game in a game to close out the series, and the context of this win too is just so breathtaking as well. Like, mm. uh, this is the means in which the Bucks won this championship is so rare. Uh, you know, Middleton and Giannis were the two best players on the 2013-2014 Bucks team that won right. 15 or 16 games. Um, typically when that happens, you know, players are gone uh, in the process that happened since then. You know, eight years, these two guys developed their games perfectly, became the one and two, got some help by some really talented veterans at certain aspects of the court, and they got it done. Um, in terms of, I was, since the StatCast era in the early 80s, I was looking at the greatest single finals performances and this has to be top three or four um mm -hmm. the ones that immediately stood out to me was jordan in 92 when he was averaging like 40 points per game in the finals that's never been done <laughs> right. uh, i don't know the next <laughs> time that it stupid. will be done i could see luca maybe doing it um mm. but like you know if he even gets there uh and then Shaq in 2000 putting up a like a 36 or 38 and 17 stat line um, in an era when, you know, bigs were great on every team. Uh, and then LeBron in 2016, his stats weren't quite there, but just the willpower uh, puts him up there too. And then Giannis this year. I think that those are the four that, you know, since the StatCast era began, like those are just the different performances to me. Yeah, you could probably pick one of those LeBron years where he led like every single team in points, rebounds, and assists and stuff like that. I mean, even last year he was he was stupid. But this isn't a LeBron concentrated podcast. But this is a Giannis concentrated podcast. And you're totally right. He was. Looks like I got a train going by me right now. I fucking hate these trains so much. Um, he was 
you know, I, I like blending players. Like when I want to like get like shades of or comparisons and stuff like that. Like when I talk about LeBron, I always talk about him as like um, a perfect fusion of Carl Malone, Magic Johnson, and Michael Jordan, right? Like that's just who I think of him as. With Giannis, like it, it's really tough to draw comparisons because you know he came into the league as a wing, and we realized. Um, the last couple of years that he is the best center in the league. I've been saying that for the last two years. Like, if he just fully committed to center, he would be the best center by a mile, like even better than him beating Jokic because of what he brings offensively and defensively. Um, so uh, we should probably talk about Middleton a little bit because we are two uh, Middleton advocates, evangelists. Uh, we have supported him through thick and thin. You have a T-shirt that says Chris Middleton is good. Uh, always representing, you know, there are plenty of haters out there that make the lazy, lazy pun of Middleton. And, um, you know, he, he wasn't great offensively last night, but when it counted the most, uh, he made some big buckets down the stretch. Um, there were a lot of sore points in that game where there was like four-minute stretches without any buckets or anything like that. Like somebody needed to call a timeout. It was just disgusting. Um, but, I mean, this guy, the entire playoffs, he was – I don't want to say unguardable because there are very few players that can reach that echelon, but he was, you know, breathtaking isn't the right word because, you know, he's kind of ugly, right? But, like, his jumper is just so smooth and he makes such difficult shots. And um, Is he the perfect sidekick for Giannis? Like, could you build a better um, realistic, like, Robin to Giannis's Batman? Because like he was a great closer, he's great defensively, he's long, he makes jumpers, he can handle the ball in pick and roll situations. I mean, the, the series flipped once they started going in the middle to Giannis pick and roll. But yeah, is there a better possible sidekick for Giannis? There aren't a whole lot, just in terms of like pure number twos go. Because Chris Middleton could never be a number one guy on a team. But right. um, I don't know Giannis's skill set is so vastly different from what Chris Middleton brings to the table. But in that same vein. Chris Middleton's game would translate and be plugged into just about any team in the league perfectly in my eyes mm. because when the mm -hmm. clock strikes five minutes in the fourth quarter, regardless of if he has 35 points or 10 points, he's going to hit two or three shots. And we saw that in all six games besides the game where he scored 11 points. He was quiet in that one. But, you know, even last night, what, he had 16, 17 points, but yep. he – but he hit this beautiful dagger jump shot where like he was leaning to his off hand with the hand in his face defender on him and it was just bottoms and then two possessions later Devin Booker's shadowing him didn't put his hand up not sure why I guess it probably wouldn't have mattered given the shots that Middleton hits but he he hits a shot leaning to his right hand um you know going to the baseline or between the baseline and the elbow and um yeah it's people like to look at his overall stat lines for games and form their opinions around that and i think with the player like chris middleton you know he's going to have his defining moments like the 40 point game that he put up but uh it he's just so unique in the fact that i don't want to say he turns into kobe but he turns into a you know, Chris Middleton version of Kobe in the last five minutes where it doesn't matter if a hand is up. You know, he turns into a Kawhi or someone like that where he hits these shots that need to be hit. You know, if Giannis is... And Middleton was dead too. Like, 
there was that one play where he tried to feed someone in the post and it was like the worst pass ever. Like he missed by two <laughs> or three feet. And I was like, dude, this is bad. Like he missed a shot before that. And the next two possessions, he found it. Like he went deep into his bag and found these two ridiculous jump shots that, you know, put a game that was still up for grabs out of reach, completely out of reach because Booker misses that open three and then, you know, it's over. So uh, I could not be more proud of Chris Middleton. Um, and I do not see either of these guys going anywhere for a while. So if they can keep Drew around too, you know, these three will be a problem in the East, which is important. Without a doubt. And, you know, like people like right after the finals and it, it's, it's so fucking disgusting and disturbing. And I like what you brought up about like the fatigue. Like there's a real ratchetry level to that game last night. Like shit just got ratchet at points. Like they all look so gassed, but um. Right after the finals end, people immediately start talking about Chris Paul to the Lakers and all this stupid bullshit. And it's so, so annoying because, like, let's let's just enjoy this moment. Like, we worked the entire year to just get here that we're already going to move on to speculate about other things. Drew Middleton and Giannis are returning. Like, that's just going to happen. And, you know, I'm listening to pods. I'm listening to commentary, all that kind of stuff. And people are talking about, is Phoenix going to be able to make it back, right? Because, you know, the Lakers are going to relock, reload. Denver's going to be better when Jamal's healthy. All that kind of stuff. Brooklyn. And then they start. Exactly. They talk about Brooklyn. And I'm thinking about Brooklyn. I'm like, yeah, I love Kyrie. I love James. I love Katie. You know, I'm a basketball um, enthusiast. I love, you know, the skills of the game. But I can't say that they're the favorites next year just because I don't know who else is going to be on that team other than those three and Joe Harris. And if there's anything that I've learned from the last two years of basketball, it's that defense fucking matters. I think that it's just as important as the offensive side of the ball. And when you have elite defenders, not above average, not good, not great, elite defenders like Drew Holiday and Giannis Antetokounmpo, you can beat any spoiled, rich offensive team like Brooklyn, right? Like, I mean, it looked like Brooklyn was going to give them a run for their money and actually win that series if James and Kyrie were healthy. But I don't think you can talk enough about, like, what that level of confidence, that level of relief does for a team once you've won the championship, right? Like, I think there was a lot of nerves and a lot of tension for Milwaukee in that Brooklyn series because, you know, KD had been there before, but nobody in Milwaukee had. Milwaukee's been there now. Next year, they're just going to have a different level of confidence. I think they're going to be even better. They're going to have DiVincenzo back, all that kind of stuff. So, um, But like you were saying on Middleton, I mean, he, he, was, he was special. Like, there's no doubt about it. 6-13 from the field last night in a really tense game. Um, Drew is four of 19 from the field, which, you know, isn't great. But uh, uh, I do want to talk about Budenholzer for a second because that's a guy who I've come for his neck several times. Everybody on Twitter has come for his neck a thousand times. And he outcoached Monty Williams in the series. Like, Monty Williams is a good coach. I don't think he's as good as everybody was, you know, hyping him up to be and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he had a great roster. But, you know, I think these were relatively equal rosters. That's what we talked about at the beginning of the series. There was no clear favorite. Nobody could have, like, really predicted where it was going to go. Most people thought it was going to go six or seven games. Uh, but Budenholzer made a ton of adjustments. I think we mentioned it a little bit earlier, uh, just that the Middleton and Giannis pick and roll really changed the series. Like, once he figured out to run it lower underneath the three-point line, that's when everything adapted because – it opened up one side of the floor for all of the shooters, and then it gave Giannis that value running start that he needed to like rev that motor to get to the paint and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, what, what do you think of Bud? Do you like Bud? I mean, obviously he has the job security for you know like eight or nine years now since like Rick Carlisle got after winning one championship. But um, um, where do you stand on him? Do you still think he's an ugly, drunk-looking motherfucker, or are you like okay, this is NBA champion of a coach? 
I still don't think he's a great coach. I think he's fine. He's good for these players. He definitely outcoached Monty Williams in, from game three on, uh, which is easy to say because they won four straight. But I think it's a little bit deeper than that. You know, we saw in the Hawks series, we saw in the Nets series, exactly what we saw in this series, which was in the first game, Budenholzer tried to come out with a new defensive look versus these offenses. And they didn't work in almost every single game one. So he went to his old tendencies and went back to drop coverage versus these teams that have exceptional pick and roll duos. Um, and I was really nervous after game two because I thought that maybe he had changed and he had learned from those two series that, damn, like maybe I should stop doing this. Um, it was, but from game three on, I think you realize that, you know, perfecting the offense is so important and letting Drew Holiday and PJ Tucker dictate the pace on defense was what needed to be done. You know, those two guys, I can guarantee, went up to him and said, you know, we want Chris Paul and we want Devin Booker, us two. And the biggest thing was you didn't see a lot of, actually, you saw no double teaming against those two players who are right. great in isolation, especially Booker. But it was fine if these guys scored a ton of points. You know, underdog teams in the finals historically on defense have the best success when they allow these star scorers on the other teams to put up their points because the worst thing that can happen, the downfall of these teams, and I think P.J. Tucker said it in an interview, is he said, it's fine if Devin Booker drops 35 on my head. You know, I can handle that. But I start to have problems when someone comes to help, Devin Booker dishes to that guy, and then that guy hits a shot and he starts to get hot. And we saw that problem in the first two games. Adjustments were made between games two and three that I think won the Bucks this series. You know, that compounded with Giannis realizing that there's no one on the Suns that can contain him, even in the slightest. And it was funny to me because the podcast that I was listening to and the analysts going into this series, one of their biggest concerns was if the Bucks could handle the Suns' strength, which as soon as that was said, uh, it was it was confusing to me because I never viewed the Suns as a physical team, but it seemed like lots of commentators did, um, and uh, there was no. Yeah, well, well, they're scared of what? Like Cam Johnson's muscle mass and Jay Crowder's fake tough guy persona? Like, yeah, I don't know. I think it was because <laughs> I think it was because DeAndre Ayton had played so well up to that point, right. and Jay Crowder had played so well on the defensive end that. They believed that those two could play. But, you know, Bud threw in so many wrinkles um, just in terms of lineups, like that big man lineup that he played here and there, um, you know, with Brooke Lopez and Giannis down low. That lineup, there were very few times where it didn't work um, because DeAndre Ayton had a lot of trouble staying out of foul trouble. Um, oh, yeah. And as soon as he sat down and they brought in Frank, it was like open season for these two seven-footers that can, you know, that can both – score very well inside and are fine at shooting threes. I mean, Brooks a better three-point shooter than Giannis. Giannis is a astronomically better inside scorer than Brooke, but mm. you know, these two seven-footers with a ton of mass and the ability to bully down low when Aiton went out and it was Crowder and Kaminsky versus Brooke and Giannis, it, there was there was no worry for Milwaukee at that point. 
there's no small guy on on the Bucks. Jeff Teague is small, but Pat Connaughton is still like six four, probably like two twenty. Uh, PJ Tucker is a brick shit house. Chris Middleton six seven six eight. Drew Holiday is stout. Like that guy has bare hands. Like that motherfucker has absolute gloves on him. And um, no, that's fascinating. You say that just because like the thing with Budenholzer that impressed me is he wasn't stubborn, right? Like he was switching. He was making mid-game adjustments all the time. Like, he was putting Drew Holiday on either Chris or Booker, depending on the game and depending on how they were feeling, right? Like, last night his his task was essentially, like, let's let Chris Paul beat us. Um, he hasn't been going great, right, like, as far as scoring is concerned the last two games. Uh, so, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to take Devin Booker out of this. He can't get 40 again because they're really, really close games when he does get 40. Um, so, we'll let Chris, you know, get all the buckets in the world. But Devin's not beating us tonight, right? Um, and you mentioned uh, the same thing that P.J. Tucker said about giving Devin those buckets in those two games. Um, Doc Rivers did something similar with that with Kobe in 2008. He's like, I'm going to throw double teams at him because he wants this moment so bad that he's going to chuck up shots over those double teams when he could pass it. And then Kobe learned from that and ends up winning you know, back-to-back rings in 09 and 010. Um, but let, let's move on to Phoenix. Um Shout out Milwaukee once again. Shout out to Bobby it's, Portis too. Shout out to Bobby yeah, sh- Portis. Shout out to Bobby Portis. Go ahead, talk your talk on Bobby Portis. Just a high energy guy <laughs> who's like two years removed from socking Nikola Mirotic in the fucking face. Um, I've always loved Bobby Portis. He he just looks like an eight ball, like walking around on the floor. He's such a lovable guy. Bobby Portis. I, Drew Drew Holiday said it in his. Uh, championship speech they're going to give Bobby Portis the keys to the city uh, just no like doubt. just just his personality and how he acts on the court like they teed him up that one time when he got called for a foul that he didn't like and he ran down the court like he was Walter Payton with like the sweetness Literally. step and uh-huh. and I was not mad about that at all uh like just Chris Paul missed the free throw yeah Ball yeah. Don't lie. yeah and like he, he he's a WWE superstar in basketball form. The guy is high energy. He's exactly what they needed. I know there were reports coming out where like Bobby Portis was like poking and prodding at Giannis when he was unemployed, pretty much saying, dude, like talk to the team, get me on this team. Like I'd be perfect for this. And he absolutely was. I mean, like the guy is a, he's a, he's horrible on defense, but he is like a light version three level scorer. And you know, I think that there's a lot to learn just overarching before we move on to the Suns. Kind of my final statement on the Bucks is, you know, teams can really learn from this Bucks uh, roster on how to build a near perfect eight man rotation with Connaughton, Tucker, Portis coming off the bench. You know, three guys that all, or, well, no, yeah, Tucker didn't come off the bench. Who am I missing? Yeah, Teague. Connaughton and Portis, you know, T can maybe be replaced, but like Connaughton and Portis and then that starting five, like I just couldn't think of a better group of players that complement each other for all vastly different reasons. Mm-hmm. Bobby Portis. And, you know, even if you aren't like good at defense, at least try on defense, right? And that's one thing that he does. Like he moves his feet. He has active hands, all of that kind of stuff. Now he might not have like the defensive instincts of Drew Holiday or anything like that, but at least he fucking tries. And that, that's all I'm asking for from my guys that are like, um, you know, bucket getters on the offensive end. At least try on defense. Um, but, yeah, man, give them a key to the city. Shout out Bobby Portis. Shout out Arkansas Razorbacks. Um, an absolute hooper. Um, congratulations to Milwaukee. So, yeah, let's talk about Phoenix real quick. Uh, they got to bring back Chris. Yeah. Um, they're not done. 
I think that they'll be in title contention again next year. You know, Mikhail Bridges is only going to get better. Devin Booker, only going to get better. DeAndre Ayton, same thing. Uh, Cam Johnson, for that matter, you know. Um, but I think where they really faltered was with the 10th pick in the 2021, 2020 NBA draft, um, where they take Jalen Smith, right? Like, I think that if they could have had a more stable guard, like a Tyrese Halliburton, oh, yeah, that, right. you know, the series might have been really different. Like, campaign comes in, and um, he was really up and down the series, as he usually is, but it was a lot more downs. And, um, you know, I, I hate to play the hypothetical game, but, I mean, just a steady – um, guard that can you know run the offense, facilitate for everybody, not turn it over, and play stellar defense like Halliburton, um, he would have been really valuable. And you know Jalen Smith didn't log a single minute in this finals, and that that's tragic because once Sarge went out in Game One, it's like holy shit, like that's a lot to ask from DeAndre. Like that's another six seven minutes a game, and like we saw how much those minutes ended up wearing and tearing on these guys in the finals. And um, I, I I was rooting for Phoenix towards the beginning, but I just want to say this really quick. I fucking hate their home crowd so much. Yeah, Suns fans stink. Dude, the ESPN, like, feed was just absolutely, like, sucking them off. And there was this one kid with, like, bleach blonde hair who looked like a surfer, yep, bro. Like, yep. with the hair down to the shoulders. And then we go to Milwaukee and they don't show, like, any fans the entire night. But, like, in Phoenix, we're getting, like, 15 to 20 fucking fan shots a night. And I'm like... Dude, like, these people, like, I don't think they know a goddamn thing about basketball. They just, like, have money, want to go to these games and yell. And so they yell when somebody next to them yells because that person might know a little bit about basketball. So it's just a bunch of fucking sheep in an arena yelling because guys are doing cool things. That's what it is in their head. But, like, Yeah, I progressively, I, when the series started, I was, like, it was a coin flip on who I wanted to win. But as the series went on, yeah, like, and I know the fan that you're talking about. Uh, like, right. he was there with his two buddies. Like, they looked like they were about to go chase some Mavericks after the game. Like, <laughs> and then there was that one tool who was, like, flashing hundreds in a loss. Like, dude, it, yeah, it, it's it's that it's that West Coast fan base, man. Um, and, like... It's I think, tough, bro. Golden yeah. State, the Lakers, the, I mean, the Clippers are, like, all right. But, like, it's it's pretty brutal, bro. Like, those Warriors fans, it's never going to get worse than that for me. Those fuckers sucked. Yeah, like, they have out their selfie sticks all game. Like, oh it, it, yeah, it, it's just, like, and I think what played into that, too, was how lovable and, like, hospitable and just uh, – you know, down to earth, the Milwaukee fan base was in contrast to the Suns fans. Right. Um, yeah. And then that Suns and four guy has to go into hiding for a couple of months, dude, <laughs> yeah. because he kind of cursed him. Like it was the opposite. They lost four straight. Four in right. A row. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean, it, it was a brutal like exit for them. Like Chris Paul was like really the only one who played good last night and he didn't play stellar, but you know, he shot 11 to 19 from the field. He put up 26, five dimes but booker was terrible and yeah. i don't know if that was a result of the fatigue but i mean he shot eight of 22 and had six turnovers only had 19 points like it was um it was it was honestly kind of sad because like yeah the game was like obviously really close but like it didn't like when i'm looking at the box score now i'm like wow they don't have a 50 piece on there but they also don't have a 30 piece like right like it was um 
they were a great team. They were really fun to watch. They played a beautiful brand of basketball. Um, I, I fucking love Mikael Bridges. He might be one of my favorite players in the league. I think that's one thing I learned about myself and, you know, the NBA this playoffs is just, like, uh, Mikael Bridges, not just a 3 and D guy. Like, actually has a handle and can hit mid-range and, like, run a pick and roll for you. Yeah. Um, but I'm excited to see what they do. Uh, if I did have any suggestions for their front office, shout out James Jones. Um, go get a valuable rim-running backup big. Go get a JaVale McGee. You're going to need it. They always come in handy this time of year, especially in these close contested games where everything is super congested in the paint. It's always good to have a Dwight Howard-type player around the rim. Um, and then also just get a decent backup point guard. Not a score-first backup point guard, a facilitating backup point guard. I don't know who that is, if they bring back Ricky Rubio or something like that, but, I mean, just somebody that is competent at running an offense, I think that's all they really need. And, um, I, I'd love to see them back in the Western Conference Finals next year, without a doubt. Is Kenneth Fareed still in the league? I think that'd be a good one. I haven't <laughs> heard of Kenneth Fareed in like six years. He fell off the face of the fucking earth. Yeah, the man. I think he's in China. He had a great nickname too. The Manimal. It's a great one. Yeah. People were comping him to Barkley. Oh, God. They're like, this guy's six seven and inhaling <laughs> boards. I'm like, he's not Charles Barkley. He's Reggie Evans, bro. Oh. It got shot. But, uh, yeah, like... Kevin's nutted on the boards. Yeah, but um, I don't think that there is any chance that Chris Paul leaves the Suns in between this year and next year. Absolutely no chance. But, yeah, a guy like George Hill, Ricky Rubio, you know, someone that's, like, defense would be really valuable, too, from that backup point guard spot. Like, campaign, I think that series... You know, they have Javon Carter on their roster. I don't know why Javon Carter never got any people. Right? Dude. Oh, man. And I forgot he was even on the team, but I've always been a big Javon Carter fan. Like Me too. Great. Like, he's a, he's a 10th or 11th man, but, like, is one of the better defending point guards in the league because that's all he is good at, dude. Like, you're going to get, like, two, three points. And, like, before you say, oh, well, he can't score, P.J. Tucker can't score. Connaughton mm-hmm. can't score. They combined 0 for hey, 5. Put some respect on Con. All right, fine. Respect on Connaughton's Fine. Game. Sure, fine, Con- fine. Connaughton hooped in game five. But, yeah, you're right, you're right. Yes, yes. But, like, Connaughton and Tucker combined for 0 for 5 last night. So, I don't right. want to hear the argument about how – you know, you need these guards to score and stuff. You really mm. don't. Like, you need a guy who can, you know, fill a glaring gap. Like, that's why I've – and this is You already is totally... have Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I see – like, it's – and, like, this is a little bit off topic, but, like, it's the problem that I've always had with the Trailblazers where, like, if you're not willing to find someone different for CJ, at least get a backup that can play defense, right. not Anthony Simons, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it, like, and I think that that's where the Suns faltered. And the moment I knew that game was over, even though, yeah, and you were saying you said it perfectly. Even though the game was close, it seemed like it was in the Bucks' hands the whole time. They were in control. Giannis was unstoppable. But um, the moment I knew the game was over was when Booker missed that shot and then turned around and did like the two K my park like frustration foul. As right. soon as that happened, that's the first time where I was like, all right, he's pissed off. Chris Paul is, you know, like he's doing what he can, but he's not looking great. Like that was the first time where I saw Booker like genuinely be pissed off and just be done with the series. Like, and as soon as that happened, you know, cause Aiton wasn't going to lock back in in that fourth quarter, you know, you weren't going to get a spark from one of these guys. Like I think Frank Kaminsky maybe went on like a two or three bucket run there in the third, but 
yeah, like that. And yeah, you're getting those campaign like ten point stretches, but um, I'm really like I hate the post mortem injury reports, right? Or like the uh, the Houston Rockets how they did like that. They had their front office check out the foul report or whatever from like three years ago against Golden State. But I want to know what was wrong with Chris because there was like three or four games in the series where, you know, after game two, like he was just turning the ball over like in silly ways. Like it was just off the handle. It wasn't even off like bad passes or anything like that. But like, um, I mean, he did have those as well. But like he was literally just losing the handle on things. And that happened twice last night. And I'm like, I was so confused because like I've been watching this dude for what, like 13, 14 years. And I've never seen that happen to him. Like he has the tightest handle other than Kyrie and Steph that I've ever seen. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm gonna, sense. I'm gonna go ahead and say that. Yeah, all right, maybe he was a bit injured, but I'm going to give full credit to Drew Holiday for that. Right. On a, right. on a, on a stage this big, Chris Paul has never. And I don't have the like past opponents and big playoff series up or past playoff series up like. Chris Paul has never had to deal with a guy that has put him through hell like this. Mm. Like, dude, I've never seen someone and, you know, Devin Booker hits his deep shots. Chris Paul hits his deep shots here and there. But Drew Holiday was guarding them like they were Damian Lillard. Like as soon as they crossed half court in these clutch moments, like the crowd is on their feet. Like he wasn't letting them fucking move. Like Dude, he was guarding them ninety four feet. Fuck half court. He was picking them up on the <laughs> other free throw line. I mean, this guy. Like, there's is... a big difference between Patrick Beverly and Drew Holiday. I think that's why everybody needs to realize. Like this yep. motherfucker is he's hands down the best perimeter defender in the league. It's not even close. Oh, it's not even close. And like the more and more that I think about it, and Drew said this, but why didn't he win Defensive Player of the Year this year? Like why? Like he didn't get a vote, right? Why was it between Simmons and Gobert? Like I get it, but. You know, Drew Holiday, and, you know, this, like, I'm factoring in the playoffs a bit, which is tough because I know it's a regular season award, yada, yada, yada. But, um, I mean, why, uh, why can't the Defensive Player of the Year award be a playoff thing, too? Because I think that that's when defense is the most important, especially in today's game. Like, Drew Holiday proved that he's he's the best defender in professional basketball. He Like, in a... In a guard and forward dominated league, he made sure that Booker and Chris Paul's lives in the clutchest moments were like they were in the torture chamber. Like they couldn't find ways around him. You know, play of the season, play of the series was the steal to the alley oop, like without a doubt. Um, when do you think the last time a defensive player of the year was won by a guard? Oh, man. Um, do you Do you have it up right now? I have pulled up right now. A guard. Okay. Not a forward, not a center, a guard. Like a like a pure point guard or point guard point or shooting guard? Point guard or shooting guard. Okay. I'll tell you, this is a point guard. Was it in the 1990s? It was. Gary Payton. It was. Yeah. Gary Payton yeah. in 95, 96. Um, there's only been – so, like, the first two years, it was Sidney Moncrief. They started giving it out in 82, 83. Sidney Moncrief won the first two. Give that That's man his respect. We do not Fox. talk about Sidney Moncrief enough. I uh, know. Shout out the Bucks. Um, <laughs> Alvin Robertson won 85, 86. Michael Cooper won 86, 87. Michael Jordan won 87, 88. Um, and then it went to a couple of centers, Mark Eaton, David Robinson, Akeem, and then went to Gary Payton, 95, 96. Ever since then, um, here's everybody who's won the Defensive Player of the Year. Dikembe Mutombo, Alonzo Mourning, Ben Wallace, Ron Artest, Marcus Camby, Kevin Garnett, Dwight Howard, 
Tyson Chandler, Mark Gasol, Joachim Noah, Kawhi Leonard, Draymond Green, Rudy Gobert, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. I bet. That's like, that's like nine guys. <laughs> I bet Drew Holiday wins it next year because now that he has the recognition right. and it's all the media was talking about, and I don't see him declining in defense. If anything, he gets better. But you said Michael Cooper, and that brought me back to uh. him. Like, I forgot about him. Michael Cooper and Drew Holiday are almost the same player. Literally. Literally Michael Cooper, dude, like there were reports that like there was this really cool story that I saw on Michael Cooper where players would complain that Michael Cooper didn't cut his fingernails and mm. he would dig them into the back while like they were trying to post up and like he would make steals because he would like poke the ball with them. And like he just had like and we were talking like the big similarity between Gary Payton, Michael Cooper, and Drew Holiday, which are all very similar players. You know, I think Gary Payton, when you think about it, is probably the best player out of those three. I mean, he was an all-star year after year. Sure, uh, yeah. You know, like, led a team in the finals. But they all have these huge hands, and they know how to use them. Pause. But, yeah, like, it was, (laughs) like, I'm just, I'm, like, so proud of all these guys. Like, I was, I was thinking this morning, like, if, if like there was an anime show written about like a basketball team and like who the characters would be, I think the Bucks would be that team. Like you have your superstar <laughs> protagonist who's like a freak from like a foreign land, right? And is like the nicest guy ever. Like he loves kids and like you see all these videos of him. And then you have the guy who like has the up and down arc who like hits these big shots at the end of the episode, Middleton. Right. And then you have these quiet, you know, mean defensive guys that are like the brutes of the show. They're PJ Tucker and Drew Holiday. Like, just props, props to the Bucks for putting together this championship season. Like, it this is fan, this is fantastic for the league. It is. How many steals do you think Drew Holiday had? This Average is my last bit of trivia. Um, how many? Yeah, how many steals did you think he had in six games in this in this uh, finals? Uh well, I think he averaged two point seven. So okay, so he had thirteen. Thirteen and six. All right, yeah. So it was like two point yep. two. All right, yep. ish. Yeah, wow. I like that's what I think against Chris Paul. Like, like that <laughs> might not sound like like overwhelming, but two steals against Chris Paul, Devin Booker as the primary ball handlers. That's yeah, man. I, I'm honestly I'm floored. Um, I don't feel like this was a season where like you can say like you know asterisks, all this bullshit. Everybody's no. always trying to make an excuse for a champion and stuff like it's that. So like, stupid. Get the fuck out of here! Like injuries happen every single year. Sure, there might have been more this year, but it's a credit to the Bucks for staying healthy. It's a credit to their work ethics. It's also a credit. I mean, they had an injury. They had Don, Dante Divincenzo, who's a starter for them all fucking season. And he Dante was Divincenzo was like bogey light. Right, like, which is exactly. really important because he would have been coming off the bench, taking Drew Holiday's place, taking Middleton's place. Like, that's another score. So yeah, <laughs> instead we had Teague playing. Like, we have to think about that. Yeah, but right. the Suns and the Bucks they stayed healthy. Besides the COVID thing with Chris Paul and Divincenzo being out, like they stayed healthy, and I think that's credit to the organizations. And yeah, like that's never sat with me. Right, how you know people say, oh well, you know. They wouldn't have won if, like, these guys got hurt. It's like we all knew someone on the Nets was going to get hurt. Like, that's just the reality of it. It was a foregone conclusion the moment that we tipped off in the first round. Like, one of them was going to get injured. Like, I'm sorry, but, like, if you're an NBA player and you want to play all season, then you're going to have to stay in the gym, keep working, and there's no shape like game shape. And if you are not in game shape and you start playing – 
NBA games, you're going to get hurt. That's just what happens. So, like, when you take a sabbatical for six games and you just take that time off, that's not helping your body. That's hurting your body because then you're going to put yourself in high-pressure situations and naturally something's going to happen. Now, there are going to be freak accidents. There are going to be Trey Young stepping on ref's ankles and Kyrie rolling his and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, Giannis hyperextended his fucking knee like 15 (laughs) days ago. Shit went backwards, dude. If that happened to me, I would have been in a wheelchair for like two months. Minimum. Minimum. I would have taken off work, probably filed for unemployment, maybe moved out of my apartment, and I don't know. Like, it would have been really, really sad. I would have had like a developed a Cheeto addiction. It would have been fucking pathetic, and this dude just wanted shit. His leg looked like a bow. Like, it looked like a bow and arrow. Like, it literally inverted. I had never seen something like that. And then, you know, to come out and look like the healthiest player out there for the whole series. You know, uh, Giannis's first, Giannis's first ballot, man. Like it's, and so we're, we're in agreement that he's the best player in the world right now. Correct. Yeah. Him and and LeBron James. It's Giannis. Giannis is number one. He has that title. Right. Yeah. It's him and Kevin. See, I I think it's just him. I think it's just him at number one. Yeah. And I think he deserves that respect. I think what he just did even like game six by itself, I think warrants that, you know, the performance he put on. Um, all right. Uh, just question for you. Who's your NBA finals matchup next year? Oh, God. Before we head out. <laughs> Come out of the West. Um, I'm not going to go against Braun. I, I've, I've never done that. I never will. It usually looks stupid if anybody ever does. So I'll ride with the Lakers. I'll take the Lakers and Bucks. Um, I don't know what moves are going to be made. I don't know what the rosters look like. I'm just going to assume that LeBron James and Anthony Davis are on the Lakers and that Giannis and Tedekumbo, Chris Middleton, and Drew Holiday are on the Bucks. Um, I'm not going to pick who wins that series uh, because it sounds stupid. If, you know, I'd sound like a homer if I took a Le, you know my LeBroniness at heart. But um, uh, yeah, I'll take the Lakers and Bucks. Yeah, I think the NBA wants to go back to normalcy next year yeah right I like not not like this year wasn't normal but you know silver this wants lebron versus Giannis. he wants the lebronis finals yes he didn't get lebron and kobe he wants lebron and Giannis. yeah my my prediction would be lakers nets i think that okay. and like and if and if the nets don't do it next year because of and the only reason why they wouldn't is because of injuries again which is entirely possible they don't do it next year the window closes in my eyes like because like right. it's next year's the year for the Nets, you know. I think Lakers Nets, which is like seems like such a safe pick, but yeah, like it'll be like Lakers and Suns go seven games, Bucks Nets go seven games, like both teams are like the ones and two seeds. Like that's my dream scenario. All right, my dream scenario East Eastern Conference Finals, Sixers have Damian Lillard and Joel mm, Embiid. Well. If the and, Sixers and they get, go up against Milwaukee and, yeah. Drew, and they just get swept because Drew just puts Dame in the fucking torture chamber <laughs> and Giannis just pants Joel Embiid on live television. And then uh, Warriors-Lakers revamped Warriors, Davion Mitchell and fucking Moses <laughs> Moody in, in the starting lineup with Clay Wiseman, and Steph uh, yeah. going against the Lakers with um, fucking, I don't even know, like they have like the 24th pick. I'm so excited to see Chris Duarte. Yeah, yeah, big one. I'm so I'm I'm so excited to see Clay back. 
I'm curious oh, yeah. to see where he's going to be, man. But, like, his game translates so perfectly that, like, you know, I don't think it should be a problem. He should play in a wheelchair, honestly. If he can't, if he can't play on two feet, uh, I mean, he can still shoot. That's all he needs. Um, but, all right, let's get out of here. Thank you guys for listening. Um, it was a really, really fun season. Uh, we will definitely have more coverage for you next season. Um, we just had a lot of stuff going on this year. Um, you know, with Jack graduating college, me switching jobs, Carter getting a new job, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so next year we will definitely have more NBA coverage for you. Uh, but be on the lookout the next month or so because Carter and I are going to be starting our own football podcast on the RPO show feed. Uh, so be looking out for that. It will be a fantasy football-centric and I'm sure a gambling-centric podcast where we talk about all things, you know, gridiron. We're, we're transitioning into one of my favorite parts of the year. Uh, you know, a lot of probably a lot of Broncos and Bears talk if we're being honest um, a lot of optimism on both of our sides I think right you're pretty yeah. optimistic for the Broncos season Teddy B mile high Rodgers baby he's mile coming. high Rodgers don't worry okay. man we his... both we both want Rodgers in the AFC West there's no <laughs> doubt about it Mahomes um, Rodgers and Herbert dude what is better than that right? and Derek Carr yeah I'm pumped oh oh yeah sorry everybody always forgets Derek Carr who's like a top you know, 28 quarterback in the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but thank, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, we'll catch you next time. And, uh, yeah, for the throw on the flow, for Jack Martin, for Cardi Fernandez, this is the Roth Company. I appreciate you guys for listening. Peace out. Peace.